Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm late. The train's asleep. Shut up. You're here. And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And as many listeners know, I have interviewed a ton of actors. And in fact, if you are in New York on May 25th, I will be hosting the season finale of Employee of the Month at Joe's Pub. And my guest that evening will be Edie Falco from Sopranos, Nurse Jackie, amongst others, as well as Keegan-Michael Key, who you may recognize from Comedy Central's Key and Peel, or the, um, you know, Obama anger translator. And he's actually in Shakespeare in the Park this uh, summer. And also... Bradley Whitford from The West Wing and Get Out, which you must see. If you can't come to the live taping, not to worry, because you will be able to hear our interviews on Employee of the Month. So please do subscribe. And if you enjoy um, the show, please leave a nice review on iTunes. It's like signing a high school yearbook, but it actually um, can pay off and mean that we can bring more episodes to you. All of that housekeeping done. I am ready to talk to you about um, our star guest today. She is someone who looks into the stars. Her name is Priyamvarta Natarajan, but she goes by Priya. Now you are in the know. Um, and she's an astrophysicist. We talked a little bit about dark matter and dark energy, and you can learn more about it um, when you read her book. She is currently at Yale, went to MIT and Oxford, has fellowships at Harvard, Guggenheim Fellowship. And I think, you know, she was named, well, she's had so many, but the one that I liked the most was 2009 recipient of the India Abroad Foundation's Face of the Future. She is the face of the future. It's very, very exciting. Um, and she also delves into what it's like to work into academia. And she certainly was a star student, uh, no pun intended, but she really is. Um, in fact, in addition to being a tenured professor at Yale, she was recently elected to an honorary professorship for life at the University of Delhi. How's that? Sounds pretty nice, while also being um, a professorship at University of Copenhagen. That means that she has health insurance in three different countries, as well as a really nice, um, I don't know, apartment or house. I don't know what you get in places that are not um, a shtetl, which is where I live in Brooklyn. Um, anyways, I really enjoyed being able to talk to Priya about what it's like to work in academia and science and get a taste of what it means to study the stars. And her book, Mapping the Heavens, The Radical Scientific Ideas That Reveal the Cosmos, is fantastic. Please get it. It is really, really wonderful. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can take Stephen Hawking's, who made sure that she was in his show. We also spoke about um, Carl Sagan, which I just loved. Anyways, here's my interview. Why do I need to talk about it? You get to listen to it. Without further ado, it was recorded live at Joe's Pub, the one and only brilliant and very funny Priya Natarajan. I'm very excited. When I was researching you, I asked an astrophysicist because I said I don't, I, I, uh, I took, I got out of science in high school. I took Weimar Germany through Nazism um, in film instead. It. It's really been helpful and useful in my career. And cheery <laughs> and my, as well. Right? <laughs> yes, very, very cheery. cheery. Although it actually did help for this administration. Metropolis is a, is a helpful film. <laughs> To watch, but um, yeah. So I have no life skills, um, 
But I was, I was, uh, I felt less um, of an idiot when an astrophysicist told me that no, no, none of you guys, you guys don't know what each other's working on. That that he was like, what is dark matter? I don't get it. Yeah, I think the field has become so professionalized and so specialized that you could be working, you know, in sort of some nook of the field. And someone sort of sitting next to you in the office in, the, in, in our department could be working on something completely different. And, um, but do you want to know more about dark matter? Yeah, what is the difference? And I want to know what the difference between dark matter and dark energy, which I heard about dark energy in L.A. Um, from a psychic right. nutritionist. Big dark energy fan in L.A. <laughs> so you, mean you have someone kind of removing dark energy from your aura, whatever? I is think that... I removed it by leaving um, the conversation. Oh, I see. With that person. I see, yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> um, But yes, I would like to know. And I have some, some of your slides. I'm not sure which order they're in, but we'll, we'll check them out. So um, what is really bizarre at the moment in cosmology is that we know a an enormous about our, about our universe. We know the contents of the universe, the fate of the universe. We know how it came to be, how old it is, and all of that. But what we don't really know is the fundamental constituents, what they're really made of. So 90 percent, 90 plus percent of our universe comprises dark matter and dark energy. So dark energy is about 72 <clears> percent, <throat> and dark matter is about 24 percent. And the rest, only 4% or so, is the stuff that we're made of, ordinary wow. atoms. And dark matter is actually matter, so it has gravity, but it does not emit uh, any light, so it doesn't produce any light, and it doesn't reflect light, and it doesn't absorb light either. So all it does is actually deflects light. The only way you detect dark matter is through this effect of lensing, where they deflect, dark matter okay. deflects light. So as you all know, the universe is four-dimensional space-time. That's what the entire universe is. And that's shown with this sheet, right? <laughs> well, you all know that, right? right? We do now. Right. <laughs> so basically, what that means is in order to describe any event that happens in the universe, you could not only specify where it happened, but when it happened. Because light, although it has a fast speed, is finite, and it takes a finite time for signals to reach us. So for okay. example, when you look out of the night sky, you're seeing galaxies as they were millions of years ago, not what they look like today. You yes. have no idea, right? So basically, space-time is this sort of fabric. You can think of it as a sheet. And the presence of any matter, be it dark or otherwise, ordinary matter, will cause a little pothole in space-time, sort of this bump that you I see. I know that you're describing this the way you describe this to your nephew, because I heard that you, like, you have a very young nephew. That's right. That's great. <laughs> OK, good. It's fine. That's well, helpful. I don't know if this is working, though, right? He's no, probably it's gonna... quicker than a lot of us, so <laughs> yes. you know, right. go slow. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> when, so when you have objects like the one that's shown here, which is called a cluster of galaxies, it's about a 1,000 galaxies that are held together by the gravity of unseen dark matter. Which, and this dark matter causes a huge divot in space time, like a huge, huge pothole, like the ones on I-95. OK. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ever since I've lived in New Haven, right, mm -hmm. they're always working on the potholes, and they're never done. This right? is a subject I can <laughs> talk about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the effect of this pothole in space-time is that when you get light from distant galaxies coming towards us on Earth, and you, it encounters this clump of dark matter, which also yeah. has some galaxies associated with it, it bends the light. So you see those orange 
sort of rays of light that are kind of bent, you often end up seeing multiple images of the same galaxy. So in reality, there's only one galaxy, but you end up seeing copies. So if you look at around that yellow circle that's drawn here, you'll see sort of four images, these sort of bluish things. They're actually images of the same object. So they get multiply wow. imaged. But you know that they are the same object because you know every object in the universe has a fingerprint, it has a spectrum. So you can go out, these are brightened, so you can go and measure the spectrum, and you realize they are actually the same object. But so what you can do, most of the sky for us, luckily, is not doused in this dark matter. It's very lightly smeared everywhere. And the regions where you have a lot of dark matter are few and far between. So what that allows you to do is to figure out what the undistorted shapes of galaxies, right? When they're not multiply split or stretched out look like. And then you can back out how much matter you actually need to produce that deformation. That do I have to produce this? No, you don't have to do anything. Okay. Okay. So, so this is the map. This is a yes. map of dark matter. And so what you're seeing here is a reconstruction of what's actually invisible. So that, that's the same region of the sky in the yellow circle. But it's invisible. It's invisible. So that the stuff is there, and it's piled up. It's kind of clustered and piled up. Can you up. just say it's anything, and no one can disagree with you, because it's invisible? That's right. <laughs> right. No, but honestly, no, no, we have a lot that's of a great independent... great way to get a tenured professorship. <laughs> right. There's a lot of independent lives, lines of evidence that show us that the universe has a lot of dark matter, that the most of the universe is actually dark matter. And what are you working on right now that you're very excited so, about? So, you know, I work on, uh, speaking of very extremely useful things, so I work on mapping dark matter. On mapping I'll, invisible spaces. Yeah. yeah. And I also um, am working and thinking about the formation and the growth of the first black holes in the universe, how they actually formed and how they grow. So it, tur it turns out that every galaxy in the universe, including our own, harbors a black hole in its center. So the one in the center of our galaxy is a million times the mass of the sun. So the question is, how did it get there? And how did it grow to be this massive? And so that's sort of what I'm working on right now. In particular, whether, you know, there's some theories about how the first ones form. And the question is whether the next space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, can help us discriminate between models that we have at the moment. So then how do you research something that's, because you're saying the, the, the first ones, if you were going back and you know Einstein discredited Newton's theory, like how, how do you go back? I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, if you're, how, how helpful is, is previous research then? Well, pre, you, know, you know how science is really, uh, it builds upon. <laughs> so you're really building upon each other's work, right? Okay. So in a way for Einstein to do what he did, Newton's theory was needed. I mean, so you needed a description upon which you could either improve, refine, or completely throw out. So science works in, it's a, it's a continual process of honing our understanding. So we are this, always jumping off what has been done previously. This sounds far more collaborative than I've ever heard about academia. It always seems like it's you know people who make no money and they're fighting over all of it. That's right, the stakes are too low, right? Yes. <laughs> they're fighting. No, I think you know, science is actually very, very collaborative. It oh, just turns right. out that you know, it's often been represented as the work of lone male geniuses with bad hair. Yes. But I think that the point is that behind... Yes. Uh, behind, um, you know, behind all these singular uh, geniuses, there was always a huge sort of 
treasure trove of discoveries made by other people who were hidden. So I think the movie Hidden Figures showed us something very interesting. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I think these stories, and I think Dava Sobel had this wonderful new book called The Glass Universe, yes. in which she looked at the women who worked at the Harvard College Observatory, um, whose work was, you know, is pivotal for cosmology today, and they were not recognized. I mean, the astronomy community knew, yeah. we knew about their contributions, but you know, the public at large did not realize that you know, we knew only the names of uh, the men who are associated with you know, formulating laws and so on. So for example, there was a, a woman astronomer, Henrietta Swan Levitt, yeah. and I, you know, honestly, it could have just as easily have been Levitt's law rather than Hubble's law, and we know Hubble's law. And so her work was instrumental to what Hubble did. Wow. So I think this is kind of de rigueur, but the nice thing about science now, it's being, you know, it's, it has to be collaborative now because you need the expertise. You know, many fields, including my own, have become so sophisticated that you need the expertise of many different people to make progress. Fascinating. Um, you, you're originally from New Delhi. You're, I think, the only person historically that um, Oxford fought over um, and accepted you to two colleges and then... Cambridge. At Cambridge. Excuse me. Oh, my God. I apologize. Yeah, right. Um, don't tell your <laughs> They'd parents. They'd be mad. Yes. No, no. Cambridge, Cambridge would be mad. Um, you know, they, they, they had to make a decision. Usually they, they just choose and, and they um, had to choose in that sense. I'm wondering, I know a lot of um, people who are Indian who have gone back because they were worried about a brain drain um, in their home country, but now with the horrible uh, rhetoric and laws being enacted against uh, anyone who is foreign and the defunding of science, I'm wondering if um, the U.S. should be worried about a brain drain of people leaving here to, to go to other countries. Yeah, I think the situation right now is kind of troubling vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, just how we think about the contributions of people who are not born here in all fields, right? All creative fields, including science. But I think I am actually still, I'm an optimist by nature. Well, you're also tenured, so you should be. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, that's right. I think one of the few, one of the few, I realized, right, it's one of the few guaranteed jobs for a lifetime till you croak, right? Um, the, I think that, you know, still the, the institutions in the United States, the universities, the research laboratories in the United States still have the kind of um, atmosphere, intellectual atmosphere and intellectual buzz that I think will be able to retain people and also attract new talent. So I really hope that somehow academics figure out a way to um, ensure the flow of talent from around the world. And is there ever, like, I remember Samuel Jackson was very upset um, in the movie Get Out that the black man was British and not uh, American. Is there ever any um, issues, do, do you ever see any issues within talent from overseas versus talent who are uh, fertilized on this soil? What do you mean by fertilized? I don't know. Uh, you know, that they, that, um, <laughs> you know, sort of American students, be, I, I can't imagine, but I'm just curious if, if American students right. ever feel pit, pit against or that they're losing places to talent from abroad? Well, I think there's, there's that rhetoric, but I think that my own personal experience has been that I came to MIT as an undergrad. Me and, too. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, <laughs> I must have overlapped. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm a little older than you. <laughs> but um, no, I think that there was, um, more seriously, right? I mean, there was a way in which I felt like an outsider. This was the late 80s, right? And, and I think that this was before, you know, American culture was so global. Like, the only sort of American TV show that actually came to India 
I have to admit, was Carl Sagan's Cosmos, right? And there you go. I was, of course, deeply in love with the show, right? But so, you know, adjusting to life in America, I'd never signed a check before. Well, I was young. I wasn't allowed to have a bank account in India. So I'd never checked, uh, signed a check before. I'd never seen an ATM before. So there were, I mean, there were ways. You and Donald were... Trump. <laughs> Fun facts. <laughs> and, you know, I think that I felt like an outsider. It's and... true, guys. That's true. But, you know, it was such an amazing intellectual environment, which for me at that time yeah. was perfect, right? And, and I think that then with my choice of field and what I ended up doing, given the scarcity of women in that field, I always felt like an outsider. Hmm. And it was something that kind of nagged at me for a long time and always feel that I never quite belonged. And it took me, you know, Maybe it's post-tenure, not even that, but you know, turning 40. It's after I turned 40 that I realized, um, <clears throat> which was after tenure, um, that you know what, there's power in feeling like an outsider. You're actually empowered. And I think I kind of finally accepted it and didn't feel like um, I really belong. Because I think I realized you that- You flipped the script. Right, and also I think it allows you to take the kind of intellectual creative risks like in terms of what I work on, right? So the stuff I work on is actually the speculative end of things. And I realized that there's a way in which it's kind of tolerated, even expected, and um, admired because you're an outsider, because you can, you can actually do that. Huh. And you can also succeed in your own terms. You can be the kind of person. So for example, you know, I, um, I love art, I love the humanities, I love to write, I love poetry. And I could just be this person, and you know, and I love to dress up, I love clothes, and- You're uh, human. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a girl, and, yeah. and I think I could just be who I was. Yes. Uh, and I think that is very empowering, and you don't realize that when you're young, because you so badly want to belong. Yes. You want to be part of the club, and you want to, you want to be accepted, and all of that. But I think as I grew older, I realized, no, dang, I'm just happy the way I am. And I'm actually happy that I didn't feel like I had to conform. Interesting, that, that you struggled and like stayed within who you were. I want to show a little picture of you from, from uh, Delhi. It's a little, it's, it's a, maybe a little hard for people to see, but this is oh, you as a little girl growing up. <laughs> and that little girl grew up to write this phenomenal book called Mapping the Heavens. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And I want to um, thank you. I got you a couple... Couple gifts. Um, the H spot, the feminist pursuit of happiness. <laughs> oh, thank you. Apparently, there's another spot. <laughs> um, Is this one invisible too? It <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> thank you. We've been employee of the month. <laughs> Depends who you're dating. Are you dating someone? No comment. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you may need to tell him to uh, find it or give him the book. Um, and then um, I got you some astronaut. Here, you're, I'm going to have you put this all in the, in the back. But I'm kind of lacto-vegetarian, vegan. Uh, you don't have to eat it. It's astronaut ice cream. Very, very big, healthy part of the diet. Um, just in case you end up going to space. Um, and um, fit. <laughs> a Scrabble pee candle, a feminist t-shirt, and I had heard you talk about Tintin, yes. um, so I got you a notebook thank to keep you. your notes Thank you, thank you so it. much. Um, Priya Natarajan, thank you for <laughs> coming and explaining astrophysics to someone who doesn't know as much, and we got you some delicious treats from Russ and Daughters as well.
That's it for this episode. Thank you so much to Rob Schulte, to ACAS, and to all of you for listening. Um, please do come out to the live shows when you can. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out information, get on the mailing list, find out ways you can get involved and donate. And also follow me at Katie Lazarus when your head is not going to explode from reading about the horrors that are going on uh, under the Trump administration. You can um, find out about what's going on with Employee of the Month. Take care. Have a good one. And I'll talk to you next week.